Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, I want to thank you again for being here today to get an opportunity to really share God's Word with you. Some insights that the Lord has shared with me, and I know that I believe that if you take this material, that God will really do a great work with your finances in a very special way. You know, we who live on the island, if we took a survey of one another here, you'll find that probably most of us are satisfied with our families to some degree, maybe a big degree. Some of us are satisfied with our jobs, probably a big degree. And of course, we're all satisfied with the weather that we have here in Hawaii. But I also believe that if we were to take a survey, the thing that we are least dissatisfied with, and that happens to be how we spend our money, what we do with our money. And I think if all of us be known that you will see that we've all had challenges, probably because of the recession, but a whole lot more is impacted on that, and that's how we've handled the recession. Gallup poll, you know the Gallup people, they like to take surveys all the time, and they did a survey and they found out that in the families today, especially marriages, that 64% of all couples have as their number one point of contention is how they're spending their money, either together or separately. Gallup also said that out of 54% of the marriages that have ended in divorce, they ended in divorce and the number one problem was money. Now what would be interesting is those that actually divorced over money, what it was like in the attorney's offices as they were trying to settle up after all of that. You can imagine the tension. Of course, that is like a trickle-down effect that affects everybody, and it's a very, very painful experience. But you already know from our earlier message that God uses money to reveal to us. We say test us, but test us to reveal to us our own spiritual maturity in various areas. In fact, if you'll notice there in your little outline, I gave you a very, very important verse. Luke chapter 16, verse 11 says this, Jesus speaking, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Well, as I ponder that important verse, but also the many verses that he talks about money revealing our own spiritual maturity, I came up with the following, that really how we deal with our own character will affect our world and how we make money. For example now, if we are humble and we say, I need to learn more, then we're going to learn more so that we can do a better job on our place or in our place of employment. If we're humble, we'll know how to respond to those that are in authority over us instead of having pride and contention with our supervisors, our managers, our bosses. If we love other people, our spiritual character of loving others, we'll love our fellow colleagues, even at times when they've had a bad day. So there's a great deal of how we work on our job. At the same time, it reveals our intention of selfishness and greed and how we want to get our money. Will we manipulate, intimidate, even steal and spin and keep back for ourselves or not report everything to the government and our IRS like we should? So do we have within us a poisoned heart of greed and bitterness? And that'll affect. And then you talk about discipline. Discipline can go in the area of, I don't feel so well today, so I'm not going to go into work. Now, we shouldn't go to work if we're infectious with some kind of a flu or disease or something like that. But on the other hand, there's that discipline to go in when we're tired, to get up when the alarm clock rings, to get up earlier now that there's more traffic, to show up on the job with a good countenance and putting in a full day, staying disciplined all the way through the day, not taking extended breaks or lunch times and leaving early. And so we do it because we have discipline. But also the discipline of not only receiving our payment, our our salaries, but discipline in knowing how to use our money wisely, how to spend it, how to give it, how to save it, and all that's necessary. 
So what I've just given to you is a litany of character traits, anything from being lazy to be a hard worker, anywhere from pride to humility. All of those are spiritual character traits that we can now see revealed in us. And generally, the Lord is going to use our finances to reveal to us what struggles that we're having with character. Now, I don't want you to walk away with unnecessary guilt here. But if we deal with this, God says that there's great blessings because if we do handle our finances right, God says, I will trust you with even true riches, greater riches that are more spiritual in nature for you. So there's great blessings in this. Now, as we live in this recession, some of us are really struggling. I don't, I'm not bringing anybody to mind, particularly right now, but we all are hit with it. The pastors are, we are, you are, we all are. And so we begin to say, okay, what can we do? And then Satan comes into this thing and he causes us to overreact. And one way to do that is to, not, to deny it. There's no really problems. Business as usual. Only to find us on a slippery slope going deeper into debt. Or maybe the other side is we overreact by saying, well, what should I do? Should I take on more work? Should I maybe have my spouse work two jobs? Should I maybe take everything I have and buy gold with it? Or should I move to the mainland or to another state or somewhere that I can go that I might be able to survive better? Well, let me tell you, they may be some viable options, but I'm not absolutely convinced. I do believe that there are some very simple, common sense practices that are found in God's holy word that will help us, even in this recession here, when the economy stinks, that we can still not just survive and eke out a living, but that we can really thrive. But it's not going to happen by just hearing a message. And it's not going to happen by just applying one or two points from a message. And it's not going to happen by embracing all of these points and doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit and letting Jesus live his life through us merely. It's going to happen when we're willing to do this over the long haul. For some of us, we didn't get in debt with just one charge on our credit card. It was perhaps somewhat of a lifestyle of doing things that were out of whack from God's word. And so we've walked off this path. Now to get back on the right path, sometimes we're going to have to make that change. But to do that, you can't just jump in one step to the right path. You know what the right path is, but you've got to go back over to that right path. And it might take some time. And that's where the real commitment of you is going to show. Am I willing now to pay the price to get on that right track? I need to know what it is. I'm going to pay that price to get to that track. And then I'm going to stay on that track because at the end of that is going to be blessings forevermore in a practical way for what God would have for me. Now, in Scripture, you know that the Bible is inspired from cover to cover. And some people say it even goes all the way from index to maps. Well, I know it's from Genesis to Revelation. But in the Bible, there is a book called Proverbs. It was written by what I believe is the wealthiest man that ever lived, who also was the wisest man who ever lived. But what's interesting is how he got his wisdom and how he got his wealth is when he finally came to a point and he said, Lord, I've got this responsibility. I can't do it. I need wisdom from you. So really what he did is he approached his life and he brought it to God and said, God, I need you in it. And so through that, God then gave him wisdom and gave him wealth and then gave him the privilege of recording, writing principles by which you and I could follow. And if I just took one book, it's, it's going to help us to get through this. So please know that as your pastor, I really love you. And I hurt from you when you sometimes get into a verbal conflict over your finances or when you are struggling so much now that you want to break free and to do some things with your life, but you know you just can't afford it. And so I want to help you so that you can get through all of that and become a real victor in it. 
Now, these five principles that we're, we're going to share with you, that if you are a Christian businessman and you own your own business, that if you apply this, it'll help you in your business. If you take these five principles, if you're in a ministry, whether you lead a ministry or even as a church, if we as a church, from our financial point of view, we embrace these same five biblical principles, we will be a financially healthy church. I didn't say financially wealthy church. I wish I could, but I can't. But I can't say healthy. And I'll tell you, I'll take health over wealth any day, won't you? And so God says that. And now you moms and dads and those of you that are getting married or married now, if you embrace these truths by the power of the Holy Spirit for His glory, not so you get rich quick, I'm going to tell you, God will bless you. And moms and dads particularly right now, I would like for you to take these truths, amplify these truths, put them together, have your young people, your children at the youngest possible age begin to understand these truths and keep pumping up the volume a little bit. I don't mean yelling at them, but I mean giving them more information as they're able to hold it, understand it more as they're getting older. Because this will really help you, these five principles. Now some of you, as I go through these five principles, you're going to say, well, that's not rocket science, that's just common sense. And that's true. The problem isn't so much what do we know to do, it's doing what we know to do. And I can't help you with that. That's something that you and the Lord, perhaps we have to come to a point of so brokenness that we're finally ready to say, I give up, God, you take over, I'm going to do it your way, and it'll really work. Well, what are these five principles? All right, let's look at them. Here's the first one. The first one is simple. It says, keep good records. Now, before I even give you all the content behind good records, some of you might begin to shut me off because you come from a background that's saying, I came to church to hear deep truths about God, and here you are talking about simple things I can get from a financial manager. Yeah, these general truths you probably could get from a financial manager, but the difference is he's going to share it to you somewhat in what you can do in the flesh and some other things it might do for your own personal gain and, and feeling of, 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 of you have accomplished it rather than God helping you. But I want you to know that keeping good records is very biblical because Jesus Christ says, what I wanted you to know, I had it recorded in Scripture, and I've kept those records pure and accurate so you have them today. So he recorded. Do you know that what's recorded for you right now is your name? If you've trusted Christ as Savior, your name is written in the book of life, and that name is there, and everybody's name is there until they die without trusting Christ. Then it's taken out. And so he's recorded your name there. Do you know that he is keeping a record of your deeds that you've done, the good deeds, so he can reward you when you get in? He's a record-keeping God. And so when we allow that bit of, of responsibility, of accountability that God has to us, in us, back to him, we're even more godly-like. And so we can keep some records. Now, whether or not we necessarily write them down is not so much the issue. I do believe it is knowing certain truths about your finances that is important and therefore it should translate into often writing things down because our memory is only as long as the uh, point on our pencil maybe. And so we got to remember these things. So let me give you some truths that might help you. So good records means it's a principle of just counting, just good accounting practices. Look at this verse in Proverbs that says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend your herds to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Now, when you read that, you can yawn and say, well, I don't have herds and I don't have flocks, so this is really old stuff. I want stuff for today. Well, you're right. We don't have herds and flocks, but their world and economy was with herds and flocks. We don't have so much of that today. But maybe for us, it's not make sure that we take good care of our flocks as much as we're to take good care of our stocks. Now, I'm not just talking about those of you that have your money invested in the 401s and 403Bs and all that kind of stuff, but it might just say, be careful that you know the state of your stock, what you own, what God has privileged you to have right now. 
And so I would ask you, if you do have stock, how are they performing? How well are they performing? What about the companies in which you're investing? What about the person who's giving you advice? So are you really taking care of that which God has given to you? And do you know how effective that really is? Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't know where all my money's going? Have you ever heard someone say that? I'm sure you have if you live long enough. When I hear that, it's like a bell, a red flag going off in my mind saying, if we don't know where our money is going, that's serious. That could bring us to a road, on a road down to disaster if we don't know where our money is going because it's going and we don't know how to save it. We don't know how to spend it. We don't know how to give it. We don't know how to manage it. We can't enjoy life right now because it's all going away from us and we don't know where it's going. Some people say about money at times, that money is something that, you know, money talks. Have you had someone say that? Money talks. I don't think money really does talk. I think money, money is really quiet and it's very silent. In fact, it slips away, sneaks out of our life, and it doesn't even tell us that it's gone. And so it's a very quiet thing. So maybe it would be good for us to keep a little bit better records of how we're spending it. And I know some of you are saying, I don't have enough time now to even balance my checkbook. Well, then I'm going to say that as, as I love you, that something has got to change in our life and we've got to get a little bit more control. We've got to put our margins together a little bit tighter so that we know where we are with what God has given to us. Proverbs 23, 23 says this, buy the truth and do not sell it. In other words, get the facts, whatever the cost. Now I know in context, it would mean something like this. You better know the truth, God's truth, no matter the cost, you pay the price whether it's getting up to be at church on time, being in Bible studies on a regular basis, having your devotion time, getting the material together, know the word. Whatever it costs you, you get to know this truth. And that's true. But now taking a part of that truth would be, part of the truth is that we know what we're doing with that which God has given to us. So we need to pay the price to get the facts to know what God is doing for us. So it's very biblical. If I could tell you what a formula for disaster is it's up on the screen for you the first part of it is is ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster i think i can relate to all of you but i don't know that a week ever goes by in the pons family that carol or i do not receive from some credit card company how to get a credit card and i won't mention names but there's one particularly that they keep hammering at us and so Carol gets one with her name on it. I get one with my name on it. Next week, we'll get one that has both of our names on it. It is so real easy to get credit today. Now, I know that they're tightening down on some of the credits for buying houses and maybe even getting cars, but some simple credit that you can get. And that's a disaster if at the same time we're ignorant in how we're going to use that money that's been provided for us. So be very careful. I'd like to give you four facts that are important for us to know. Simple facts, but important one. First one is we need to know how much we own. Now, when I say own, I know that you already know. We don't own anything. It all belongs to God. He allows us to use it, to manage it. But in a sense, it is ours. Our name is legally on this thing. So if we had to go to court, it's ours. So what do we own? Those of you that are in the insurance industry, you often will tell your people who have houses and have things to make sure that they take a movie of it or a video of it so that if there's ever a fire, a damage, or a theft, that you'd be able to recall what you own. So it's important to know what do you really own, O-W-N. So it's going to take you some time and maybe you might need to say no to television or going out to a movie sometime and use that evening to just work on knowing what you own. It's not a pride factor. In fact, if you want to, you can say it's a Thanksgiving thing. I want to thank you, God, for all that you've allowed me to own. The second would be to know what you owe, O-W-E. What do I really owe? And lay it all down. All your credit cards, all your car payments, all your payments that you might have for school, maybe some back taxes you owe, maybe it's going to be a mortgage payment, but total up all that you owe. 
And at that particular time, I know it might cause you a heart failure when you see what it is and how much it is, especially when you see how little you're making now and how long it's going to take you to be able to pay that all off. Don't let it be. Say, Lord, just like we worshiped in our song this morning with our young people, that there is no mountain too big that you can't help us to climb and to conquer. If you can give us eternal life, you can help us with this problem that we have here. So how much do I owe? So what are my debts and liabilities? Number three, I need to know what I earn. Where is the, the money coming in? Now, for some of you, you might have what is known as multiple streams of income. You have your check. You might have your mate's check that comes in. Some of you that have adult kids living at home, and it's a, it's a good thing for them to give toward mom and dad for the use of the facility, especially since they're living at home now. You might have income from that. You might have some income from some investments. You might have a little bit of income from some of your uh, savings accounts and CDs or wherever you might have them. So what do you right now have as far as what you're earning? And then finally... Do you know where it all goes? Do you know where it all goes? Uh, for the last, I don't know how many years, um, I guess it's the, uh, the finger has been pointed at, at me and our family that I'm responsible for doing the books. So when we have our bills that are coming in, every time Carol purchases something, whatever it is, or, or me, whenever we buy something, we always get a receipt. And we keep all of our receipts. Well, one year, I decided, let's just kind of uh, spot check some of the things that we spend money on. Now, this may be weird to you, but it worked for us. We decided to find out how much did we spend on developing film. You know, when you take pictures and you got visitors from the mainland that come in, you go to different sites, you go on vacation, you got people in the church that are coming, you're just snapping pictures. Now, this, of course, was in the days before digital stuff, all right? And so we then decided to total it all up, and we then, at the end of the year, found out that we spent close to $400 just on pictures that are stuck in boxes that are in a closet that when someday we're going to try to get into our, our, our photograph albums. Well, now we, both of us, we didn't point fingers. It's your fault. It's your fault. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It was like, what can we do now? Because every penny counts in the ministry. So we decided how we're going to set up some bit of a parameter. Well, good news, digital comes in. So now you're taking 10,000 times more pictures than you've ever taken. But have you ever thought about how, many, how much it costs then to begin printing one and printing two? Now, it can cut you down. Bottom line is this. Know how much you owe, how much you own, where you're getting the money from. And then how much that you're spending? Where does it all go? And if you begin to do that, I want you to know that you, honestly, you absolutely could be surprised that you have a Christmas present coming from you in the knowledge that there are plenty of places in your accounts that you can plug the bottom of the holes in your financial bucket that's there. It just takes a little bit pulling back, a little bit reeling in. It's all there for you, and it can help you. And God is so good. So just write some of these things down. Now, some of you are saying, I don't have time to write it down. I am busy. I know you're busy, I'm busy, Carol's busy, living in Hawaii, you're just always busy here. So there's some things you can do. You can record it on Microsoft Money, you can get a Quicken. To help you, I went on the internet and I found some absolutely free download financial management tools that you can use that you don't have to even pay for that's out there, that you can then do that. Some of you might even go as simple as, I don't have to, just keep it in a book. Keep a little ledger. You can get them very inexpensively at Walmart. Get yourself just a cheap notebook that your kids aren't using any longer from last year at school and you got all these pages and dividers. Use that. But the point of the matter is you need to write it down. Now let me share this with you. It's not in your notes today. It's not in your bulletin. But on the website, I'm going to put a budget that you can fill in the blanks. It'll be done in a document fashion that you can massage and make it work for you. I do a lot of weddings and I do a lot of premarital counseling. And we can talk all about the role of the husband, the role of the wife, and all that, which we do in the center of Christ. 
but there's a time we've got to talk about financial management. So we go through this. How eye-opening it is when you see one person in that family, they get so excited. This is so cool. I can now use something. The other person gets so nervous because they just realize they don't have enough money now to support that person. I've had people that wanted to postpone their weddings because they didn't think they could afford it. This will help you to be able to start a record-keeping system for a budget. So let me just encourage you to keep good records. So the principle of accounting is keep good records. Number two, plan your spending. And this is not rocket science as well, but it is important. And that's called the principle of budgeting. Now, you might have to set some financial goals. What do you really need? When do you need to have it? We have a particular ledger that we use. We do, do use QuickBooks, but I do have a ledger. In that, I have our goals for our house, our goals for our vacation, our goals for our giving, our goals for future needs, our goals for retirement, our goals for the next car that we want to buy, that we don't have to buy it on time. So we have goals in this little ledger. We're not perfect, but we are debt-free. And God has helped us through these principles. It's not about us. It's all about God has easily given us the formula right here to help us. So budgeting is such a, an easy thing. If you don't, we're going to drift. If you look at Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those, meaning plans, of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Listen carefully. If you don't get anything that I'm saying in this sermon this morning, I'd like you to get this simple statement. It's not how much money you earn that's the trick. It's how much money you spend that's the trick. Let me say that again. You don't need to earn more money. You could get three times the salary that you're getting now, but if you spend four times the three times, you're going to still be on this slippery slope into debt and poverty. So let me encourage you. It's not how much money you have. It's what you have and what you're doing with it. And a lot of it is just simply controlling your spending. And it's all the answers that you need. I heard... No, excuse me. I read that on average, the American adults here in America, we spend up to six hours a week in some form of shopping. Now, when I heard that, I was a little shocked because my wife doesn't spend six hours. I don't spend six hours. Where would six hours go? Now, you talk about it. How long do you spend in a grocery store? How long do you look at the sale page? How long do you might be online and maybe click in and have it sent to you? How many times you go to the mall? Some people, they probably are getting their degree at the University of Nordstrom. Or maybe they're getting the education of the Alamana Mall. I don't know. And some of you, six hours, that's average. You're above average. I don't know. But we have to watch that. Madison Avenue is specifically designed to do one thing. To make you feel that what you have is not good enough or not enough. And you need more. And their idea is not to sell you the steak. They're going to sell you the sizzle. That's what they want you to know that this is irresistible, that you absolutely must have this in order to succeed, to do better, or to help, or whatever else you might need. Now, I'm not against sales. We do sales. You do sales. We're all part of that. But what it is is when we let sales take over us and it controls us, and we don't control that how we spend our money. We might want to call this impulse buying. Look back at the verse again, if you will. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. Why don't you circle the phrase hasty or just the word hasty there? We would say that's called impulse buying. That's when you're somewhere and all of a sudden you just seem to say, I have to have it. I got to, what does it taste like? What will it look like? I need this at my house. It is amazing how many of us have garages that are jammed full. How many of us has lanai's with stuff stuffed all over? How many of us is difficult to get through a house because we've got so much stuff everywhere? Our house isn't so small. It's that it's become small because stuff has become our walls in the house. So it has become small. 
And so I want you to know it's sometimes that's due to impulse buying, and we ought to be very, very careful of that. I read an article, and it was called, Are You a Shopaholic? Good question. Compulsive spending is a full-fledged addiction, just like gambling, alcoholism, and taking drugs. In fact, it's become such a prevalent addiction in our society that there are a couple of national organizations called Debtors Anonymous and Shopper Stopper. I wish I'd have thought of that one. They create all kinds of creative ways to help you break the impulse of, buy, of the buying habit. And then they gave one illustration about one lady who took her credit cards just to slow her down. She got herself a, a bowl and she filled it with water and she put her credit cards inside the bowl. Then she took the bowl and she put it in her freezer. And she said, I have to now wait until my credit cards would thaw before I could use them that would maybe slow me down from impulsive buying. Now, I don't know if that'll work for you. To me, it seems like a fleshy way to do it. But I would tell you, though, that in our own heart, if we realize when we purchase something that we really got God's mind on this, will it bring glory to him? Do I absolutely need this? Will it help me spiritually or hinder me spiritually? Having it may help me spiritually, but it could, could it cause someone else to stumble by having this? Do I need it now? Is this the best price? Could I get it later? There are a lot of questions we can begin asking, and by the time we go through all of that, we might find out that the majority of stuff we buy in the future, we don't buy because we really see that we don't need it. How many of you had a parent when you were younger that when you wanted to buy something, they encouraged you before you bought it to sleep on it? Anybody have a parent like that? And you know what that means. It don't mean sleep on the item. It means to give 24 hours so maybe that impulse that you might have might, might kind of die with you. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.